and a very warm welcome to you all uh, if you're here in the building this morning and also if you are joining us online. Uh, it's great that you're all able to be with us uh, this morning. Uh, if you're new or if you're visiting, uh, please do uh, say hello to, uh, to me uh, after the service over a cup of tea. It would be lovely to get to know you better. And if you're new and you're online, uh, please do drop us an email. You can find our contact coordinates on the Contact Us tab of the email uh, of the webpage. And it would be great to plug you into what we're doing here at LCBC. Uh, this morning, Neil is going to be continuing our journey through John's Gospel, and we'll be in John chapter 5 uh, in our Come and See series. And in this service this morning, we'll be looking at Come and See the One Who Can Make You Well. However, before we start, let's just take a moment uh, to ready our hearts uh, to come before God. Um, so let's just take a moment of silence, uh, perhaps uh, close our eyes. Uh, and bow our heads. Uh, just take a moment to let go of the things that are distracting us, uh, the plans for lunch, uh, the rush to get out of the house and make it here on time this morning, the things that we need to do next week. Just let them all go. And let me pray. Father, we pray that as we journey through the service this morning, uh, we pray that by your spirit, uh, you would meet with us, each one of us, whether our walk with you is close or whether we're far from you this morning. Speak to us by your spirit. Help us worship you with an overflow of joy in our hearts as we sing your praises, as we come before you in prayer, as we feast on your word or round the table. Help us to be attentive to your still, small voice. Ready our hearts for that encounter. Father, help us to be expectant. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to uh, send the children out to their groups uh, now. Uh, but uh, just before they go, let, uh, let me just pray for them. Uh, Father, we pray for our young people uh, as they go into their groups. We pray that by your spirit, uh, you would help them learn more about the Lord Jesus and grow in their love and knowledge of him. We pray that the teachers, uh, that they would teach with great clarity and boldness, uh, that they would hold fast to your word. And may you be glorified in all that you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if I can send uh, the young people out to their groups. And as they go out, can I invite Elizabeth Law to come and lead us in our prayers. Let us pray. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Our Father, gracious Lord, righteous and merciful God, you are our rock of refuge, our strong fortress of salvation. You are steadfast in love and faithful. Holy, holy, holy is your name. Hear us, Father, as we gather together in the name of Jesus ever mindful of his love, which he poured out to death for us, ever mindful of the resurrection of Jesus, which has given us new life. Father, to you be all honour, praise and glory, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God, now and always. As we come before you this morning, we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness for all the things we have done which go against your will for us. 
and for the things we have failed to do. Have mercy on us, we pray. We thank you that we are assured of your forgiveness because of Christ's death and resurrection and ask that you would turn our hearts once again to you. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the Challenge Ministries Swaziland LCBC church plant in Mithlangatani. We pray for Pastor Nthlanthla and his family as they seek to develop sustainable agricultural projects and lead the congregation in the Lord. Please protect them and sustain them by your grace. We pray that families in that community would find their identity in Christ and that you would soften the hearts of those who have yet to give their lives to the Lord and graciously bring them to a full knowledge of your saving grace. We pray for the church as they fast and ask that you would reveal yourself to each of them personally and bless them. Father above, we pray for our nation. Forgive us that as Christians we have taken your word and our salvation lightly and often failed to speak out truth. We pray that as a nation we would rediscover a reverent fear of God and that you would bring about repentance and revival. We pray that our leaders would promote what is good and not what is evil. Please give them wisdom and integrity especially as they seek a good way forward from COVID. We particularly pray for your people in public life and politics, that you would help them to be bold in your name and a good influence for our country. We also pray for world leaders as they seek talks and reconciliation with Russia. We pray that war in Ukraine would be avoided and trust achieved. Lord, we, thank, we think about our church family here at LCBC and give you thanks that we are able to meet in person and to read your word freely. It has been a turbulent and anxious time for many, but we pray that you would grant peace to each of us as we worship you together on a Sunday. Would you bless those who have been unable to worship with us here in person for so many different reasons? Grant them wisdom as they seek your will in how to corporately worship you. We pray that in your mercy, the COVID situation would improve and that we might have the encouragement of being together as a whole church family and raising our voices to you in praise and song without the muffling of masks before too long. In this, we pray for wisdom for our elders and pastors and for each of us individually as we commit our lives to you. Heavenly Father, you know every sparrow that falls. You see every tear shed. And so we pray for those of our family who are sick and suffering this morning. Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would be with John Billet as he preaches at Criers Hill Methodist Church in High Wycombe. Help him to faithfully preach your word and be an encouragement to the congregation there. Please help Steve Hines as he reads the passage to us here this morning to read it in such a way that your word would be revealed to us so that we might know you better. Please be with Neil as he opens up the passage from John's Gospel. Please give him your words for us to hear. Grant that through the hearing and preaching of the word, we might be transformed. May it not be forgotten, but glow within us, treasured in every thought, 
catching fire in every act, that your name might be honoured and glorified. And so we bring these things before the God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a very long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up it pick it up and walk? The man who had was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Amen. Thanks, Steve, for reading for us. Uh, good morning to you all. I see the question on the screen behind me. I think if Jesus asked um, you that question, the same question he asked the man in the story that we've just had read to us, do you want me to make you well? How would you answer that question? What would be the thing in your life that you know is not right that you'd want him to do something about? Maybe for you it is a physical illness as well. If you had a debilitating condition which has caused you much pain for for many years, prevented you from doing what you'd like to do, you'd love Jesus to heal you from that. Maybe it's a mental health condition that you've struggled with um, for many years and caused times of, of darkness and depression. Maybe it's fear or anxiety or guilt that, that paralyzes you. Maybe it's an addiction that you just can't break free from. Maybe it's the pain of a, a relationship that needs fixing. Your, your marriage is not healthy. The relationship with your children or siblings or other family members has been broken. Maybe it's loneliness. 
practical. Maybe you'd say, well, actually, I'm fine, thanks. I don't really need your help. If we're honest, there are many things that we need healing from. And the good news is that Jesus sees, he knows all of our needs, he has compassion on us, and he's come to rescue us, to make us well, to provide not just a temporary fix, but healing that will last for eternity. So as we come to God's word, let's pray for him now to reveal that to us. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you know all of our needs, including our very deepest needs. And we do pray now that you would reveal them to us if we're not aware of them, and that we would be able to come to you in humility, in our need, and receive from you, and be made well. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the middle of a sermon series in the Gospel of John, in which we are being invited to come and see come and see the man called Jesus to see um, what's so special about him, what people say about him, what he says about himself, and what do his words and actions tell us about him. So far we've seen that he's the one who knows everything about us. We've seen that he's the one who does more than just signs. And this we will see in the passage um, that was read for us, that he is also the one who can make us well. Ultimately, the question we're asking in all of this is, what difference will knowing Jesus make to our lives? As we've said before, the reason John wrote this uh, book was that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. To have life is to have complete healing in body and soul. What we're going to see this morning is that Jesus knows that humankind needs healing, that Jesus came to heal us completely by his grace, and that Jesus invites us to enter into his Sabbath rest. So start with that first point, that he knows that humankind needs healing. Well, if we, last week, if you were with us, um, we left Jesus in Cana, where a royal official had begged him to heal his son back home in Capernaum, 20 miles away. And we saw how the man believed the word of Jesus, that his son would live. And without knowing how Jesus was going to heal him, uh, he set off for home. And before he got there, uh, he met his servants who come to tell him the good news that his son was now well. And when the man asked uh, them at what time his son had got better, he realized it was exactly the time that Jesus told him that he would live. And as a result, he and his whole household put their trust in Jesus. We're told that this was the second sign that Jesus performed in Galilee, Uh, the first one also being in Cana and described back in chapter 2. And so these two signs start and close this section of John's Gospel, describing how Jesus has come as the Christ. He's come from the Father to bring life. Well, this next section in John's Gospel, running from chapter 5 through to chapter 10, will focus on the fact that Jesus is the Son. He's also equal with the Father. And we'll see how he's rejected by his people. And for this, we start back in Jerusalem. Chapter 5 opens by telling us sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. The setting of this next sign in Jerusalem is described then in great detail as being in a a pool called Bethesda, 
which it says is located near the Sheep Gate and is surrounded by five covered colonnades. It's a real place that has been discovered by archaeologists, which you can see on this picture. Um, Emphasizing this is a real story and a real place involving real people. So why did Jesus come to this pool? Well, we're told in verse 3 that here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Disability, illness are, are nothing new. They've been present in the world since the fall. In recent centuries, there's been much a medical progress, and some cases has gone a long way to eradicating some illnesses like uh, leprosy. Uh, also at the same time, new illnesses have, have broken out. Medical advancements have helped some people with poor eyesight or hearing or mobility, but in other cases, uh, it's not possible to do, to do anything. And whatever happens with medicine, what we can't avoid is that in a broken world, there will be suffering. We see it all around us. Um, in our church family, there will always be people who are anxiously waiting for results who, that could change their lives or the lives of those uh, uh, dear to them. Those who silently endure chronic pain. Those for whom the, the walk from the high street uh, to the front door of the church is like climbing a mountain. Those who struggle to hear what is said in the service or see what is on the screen. Because of the fall, the world and everything in it is broken and in need of healing. And the Bible doesn't try and, and gloss over that fact. On Sunday evenings, we've been looking at uh, some of the Psalms of lament, how we can cry out to God in our pain. And apart from the first two chapters of the Bible, which describe the beautiful creation of God, and the last two, which describe how he will recreate the, uh, the earth and the heavens, the rest is about the broken world in which we live. Or in Jesus' day, there was no social security so it was tough for those who uh, were disabled. If they had no family who could care for them, they were forced to beg just to survive. And so the reason these people came to the pool of Bethesda is because they wanted to be healed. How could the pool heal them? Well, we don't know exactly, and you may see in the NIV translation and many other translations that verse 4 is missing. It's actually been put in a footnote um, it's because the, it's not included in many of the original Greek manuscripts and is believed to be the addition of a later scribe attempting to provide an explanation. Uh, the explanation being, if you read the footnotes, um, is that they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, and the first one into the pool after each such disturbance will be cured of whatever disease they had. That may have been how it worked. And in some ways, it doesn't really matter because the main point of the passage is that Jesus healed the man. When Jesus came into the world, he went to where the needy were, where there was suffering, because he is a God of compassion. So it was no surprise that he went here to the pool of Bethesda where there were many sick and disabled people. And of all the people there, the one that drew his attention as the one who had been an invalid for 38 years. Have a look at verse, 30, verse 6 there. 
It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Well, it says that he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. It's not that someone came and told him. The literal translation is that he knew that he had been in this condition for a long time. He knows because... And just as he knew everything about the Samaritan woman that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, uh, just as he knows everything about us and why we are here this morning or why we are unable to be here this morning. So he knows this man's situation. Some of you may have been struggling with illness uh, or disability for many years, if not all of your lives, like this man. And may at times have questioned, well, does God really know what I'm going through? Does he really understand? Some of you will have heard of uh, Johnny um, Erickson, who as a teenage girl uh, dived into some shallow water and hit her head and broke her neck. Uh, she's been a quadriplegic, quadriplegic and a, in a wheelchair for the whole of her life. She's written many books, um, including uh, this one called uh, A Place of Healing. Uh, the subtitle is Wrestling with the Mysteries of Suffering, um, Pain, and God's Sovereignty. And in it, she tells how on the 38th anniversary of her accident, that she read this same passage and encouraged her. The thing that encouraged her was this very verse that said, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. It was the realization that the God of the, the universe who lives outside of time, who existed before time began, knows that living without the use of your legs for 38 years is a long time, because it certainly felt like that to, to her. She had read verses like 1 Peter 5, where it says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And she liked the, the, the idea of uh, being one day made strong. But the idea of 38 years being only a little while, uh, however true that may be in comparison with the whole of eternity, um, made her wonder whether God really understood what it felt like to her. But she realized that in becoming human, Jesus has experienced time. Um, he knows that this man here has been suffering for longer than he's actually been alive as a human at that point. Jesus knows that humankind needs healing. And the good news is that he came to do something about it. Whilst pain and suffering are a real parts of life that we can't avoid, that doesn't mean that we need to become depressed and discouraged about it. Because the story of the Bible is about God rescuing us from the pits of our brokenness and healing us from our pain. When Jesus asks the man the question, do you want to get well? Instead of simply replying, yes, I do actually want to get well. Um, he explains the reason why he has not yet been healed. He says in verse 7 there, look, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. 
That's a tragic story to hear, isn't it? This man has nobody to help him. And he's had nobody to help him for 38 years. Or Jesus doesn't ask him any more questions to see if um, he somehow deserves to, to be healed. He doesn't wait for the next time for the water to be disturbed so he can help him into the water. He doesn't need to rely on such things. He can heal simply with the words from his mouth. Last week we saw how he said to the royal official, Go, your son will live. And he did. This time he simply says to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And sure enough, we are told at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And in healing the man, Jesus is demonstrating his power. He's demonstrating who he is, but he's also demonstrating his compassion. He feels sympathy for the man who's suffering and he acts out of his grace towards him. Many times in the Bible we read how Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw people in need. So in case you are wondering, Jesus knows your needs at this time and he feels compassion towards you. This healing must have had quite an impact because we were told there was a crowd there. But before the disabled man has a chance to, to find out who this, uh, this Jesus is, Jesus slips away into the crowd. And the question is, why does Jesus do this, this random miracle for one man out of all the other many sick people there and then disappear? The man doesn't even know who it was who, who healed him. Why does Jesus slip away? Well, the probable answer is that the place was filled with sick people and he would have been inundated with others wanting to be to be healed whereas what was he, he was most concerned about was not just the physical healing of the man but the healing of his soul and so after the healing Jesus makes a point of going and finding the man who has now gone to the temple because he still needs to say something very important to him something that's even more important and healing him of his disability. Verse 14 says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus is saying to the man that he needs to turn, he needs to repent of his sin and follow him. And then not only would he know physical healing, but he would know the greater joy of spiritual healing. In his physical healing, Jesus has given him a glimpse of a world uh, that will one day be healed and restored, where there will be no more sickness and death, because sin will have been dealt with for good. And to be a part of that world, we need to believe in Jesus, as we've been already looking at in this series, that he is the Son of God, that he came to deal with our sin through his death on the cross. And we need to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And when Jesus tells the man to stop sinning, it doesn't mean that he's more guilty than anybody else. It doesn't mean that his disability was somehow some sort of punishment for his sin. It doesn't mean that Jesus now expects him to live a perfect, sin-free life. But he's saying instead of living a life which is all about me, I, as we looked at earlier on with the children, 
Instead of you trying to be in control, let Jesus come in. Let Jesus take your burdens. Let him be Lord of your life. Allow him to free you. Allow him to rescue you. Allow him to heal you and grant you his peace. When we've experienced Jesus' spiritual healing, when we've known the grace of his forgiveness, then it changes our whole outlook, doesn't it? We want to live lives that are holy, that are are pleasing to him. We are continually seeking by God's grace to, to put sin to death in our lives. But maybe you're listening thinking, well, I know I need to grow in holiness. I would love to grow in holiness. Um, but I can't even get through the day because of, of the struggles I've got going on in my life, because of the pain I'm feeling. You know, how can I just go on like this? Well, Johnny Erickson, I mentioned earlier on, says in the, the offices of the, the charity that she set up, there are three verses on the walls um, that help her keep going. And they are these. The first one is about her purpose, why she gets out of bed in the morning, goes through an elaborate morning routine just to get ready for the day, why she endures pain all the way into the office. It's from Luke 14. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. We can all serve those in need, whether it's um, through prayer or whether we're able to do it in more practical ways. The second speaks of God's uh, provision for her, for the task that he's given her. It reminds her that his a special favour rests on those who are weak. It's from 2 Corinthians 12. My gracious favour is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. And finally, the last verse reminds her of Jesus' promise that he will soon come again. He will gather his scattered family and he will mend and restore this broken world. It's from Isaiah 35. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will shout and sing. And that promise that the Lord will come again brings us on to our last point that Jesus invites us to enter his eternal Sabbath rest. You might be wondering what is the significance of the discussion about the Sabbath in this, this passage? Uh, the healing and rescue that Jesus brings is not just for those who've led an obviously sinful life, it's also for those who think they have led a good life and are trusting in themselves for their salvation. For example, here the Jewish leaders. What are they most concerned about? Well, keeping the law. What is the first thing they say to the man who's been healed? Have a look at verse 10. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who may be well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He's overjoyed. He's walking for the first time in 38 years. And rather than being impressed by that, rather than asking him, who is this man who healed you? All they ask him is, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? In other words, who's the man who's going around not doing good, but encouraging people to break the law? 
what they've misunderstood was the whole purpose of the Sabbath. God gave his people the Sabbath so they could enjoy physical rest and spiritual refreshment as they focused on God and what he had done for them in their lives. Keeping the Sabbath holy is the fourth commandment. Uh, The Ten Commandments are mentioned twice in the Bible, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And Exodus, the reason given for keeping the Sabbath holy uh, is this. It says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's in order to remember God as creator, to remember the world in which we live was created at his hands. In Deuteronomy, there's a different reason, though. There it says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In other words, remember that God has rescued you. He redeemed you from slavery in Egypt. Well, Jesus has now come to redeem his people, to rescue them from slavery to sin, and to redeem creation from the effects of sin. He's come to lead his people to a new, recreated heaven, a new earth where there will be no more sin. In the book of Hebrews, it describes this in the following way. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. That warning um, is probably what Jesus is referring to when he says to the man, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You might think, what what could be worse than 38 years of what he's had to put up with? Well, the answer is an eternity in hell. An eternity without God, not entering the glorious eternal rest that Jesus has prepared for his people. And so the question for us as we come before the Lord's uh, Supper which reminds us uh, of that eternal banquet we have to look forward to in heaven one day, is do you want to enter that eternal Sabbath rest? And that question is linked to the question we started with. Do you want Jesus to make you well? Because in order to enter that Sabbath rest, we have to accept that we are all spiritually sick and we need Jesus to make us well. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, I've come to call those who know they are sinners and in need of healing. And the healing he offers is forgiveness for our sins, it's reconciliation with God, it's an eternity with him. And the great thing is we don't need to do anything to deserve it. It is by his grace that we are saved. And so as we wait for Jesus to come again, to complete the healing that he has begun, 
when he takes his people to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth with resurrected bodies that will not decay. Let us trust that God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your table shortly, we are reminded of our weakness, living in a fallen world with bodies that uh, break down. We are reminded every day of our weakness, living sinful lives that displease you. We are reminded of our weakness, but we come to you in humility. We come to you because we know that you are a God of compassion, that you want to heal us, to heal us of our deepest need. You want to forgive us for our sin. We thank you that Jesus has made that possible through his death on the cross, through his resurrection. Thank you that we can come to you now and seek your grace to be at work in our lives. So, Lord, keep us focused on that great hope we have of the eternal rest when we can go to be with you for eternity. We pray, Lord, for all those who are struggling at this time where life is becoming too hard, that they would focus on that hope that you've given us. So fill us with that hope. Fill us with your healing, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to Holy Communion. Uh, It's a meal that the Lord Jesus instigated to help us remember uh, what's been done for us in and through Christ Jesus, his work to save and rescue us, his work on the cross. As we come to the table, we remember that we've been rescued from bondage to sin. We have been healed. Uh, By that uh, amazing gift of God's grace and mercy, we've moved from death Uh, to life Christ dying in our place to make us right uh, with our father in heaven so come to this table not because you must but because you may not because you are strong but because you are weak come not because of any goodness your own gives you but come because you need mercy And you need help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loves you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He writes this. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you Eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. So eternal God, we praise you for your creation of the world in all of its richness and its glory. For your great work of redemption in liberating the oppressed, renewing the weary and forgiving the sinful. For your calling of men and women to share in the work of salvation in the history of Israel and in our story. And now we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, your word of love made flesh, who shared our humanity and who revealed your grace. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We thank you for his lifting up of the lowly, his healing of the broken, and his death on the cross for the redemption of the world, of which this bread and this cup are a sign and symbol. We thank you for raising him to life and exalting him so that we might call him Lord and follow in his way. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the fellowship of your church, and for all the means of grace and hope of glory. Living God, fill us with your spirit that as we share this bread and wine, we might feed on the body and blood of Christ and be empowered for witness and service to your world. Accept our prayers and thanksgiving in the name of Jesus Christ, the light of the world and the life of your people. Amen. Amen. Just before I break the bread, could I invite the service uh, to come up? Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you receive the bread, please do consume it when you receive it, and we will consume the second element, the wine, the grape juice, uh, together later. So take this bread in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your heart by faith and with thanksgiving. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. So drink this cup. Remember that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Through him, we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. So send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. And that does bring us uh, to the end of our service. We've had a service where we've reflected a lot on the one who can heal. Uh, So uh, if you do need prayer for healing, whatever that might look like in uh, your life and your current context and situation, uh, then please do uh, take the opportunity right now uh, to pray with uh, the person that you came with um, or pray with uh, Neil or myself uh, but do uh, take advantage of that opportunity to pray with uh, your heavenly father uh, before you leave 
Uh, Peter writes this uh, in 2 Peter 3.18 to the church. I think these words are for us as well. He writes this. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.